I don't know that the image of the shepherd really rings well in our ears uh, now because most of us do not live in a rural society. But for those in a rural society, they would understand the image of a shepherd because they know what that means and what that indicates. When the psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he was saying, God is my provider of everything I want and need. God is my source. God is my strength. God is my leader. God is my guide in all that I have. But what you need to understand, if you walk back 2,000 years, sheep to a shepherd were like cattle to a rancher. They were a commodity. They were a, a, a Wall Street trader's stocks and bonds. They were what you invested in so that you could make a living. And so a shepherd would invest in sheep, and those sheep were his salary, his investments, his abilities to sustain his family. So when Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, he's talking about the investment that he's made in us, that we are his sheep, we are his investment. We, he has given himself to us and invested in us just like others invest in stocks and bonds or in gold or silver. Now, when Jesus said this, as the video just showed you, this was a controversial statement. Remember, this is in the context of the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9. There are no chapter divisions uh, in the scriptures. Those were added hundreds of years later to just make it easier to read. But this is in the context of him healing the blind man and the Pharisees and the religious leaders rejecting Jesus. And, and Jesus' claims are very controversial and, in fact, challenging to the religious system. Now, God loves the image of shepherds, so even if we don't understand it, I don't think there are any sheep in my neighborhood. You've had a couple. You don't have any more? You had goats. You see, God separates the sheep and the goats, and you got rid of the goats. I'm not even going to chase that rabbit. I'm just going to move on. Uh, if God uses an image over and over and over again, not just because it was a nomadic society and not just because it was a primarily rural world in which the scriptures were written, but because God has an image that he's trying to get across to us, something about himself. When God chooses to identify himself, and when you think of the I am sayings of all the things God could have said he is, one of the things God knowing beginning to end, knowing time and eternity, knowing all the changes that would happen in human culture and in technology, of all the things he could have chosen, he said, you know, one of the things I want people to know about me is I'm a good shepherd. Now, why would he use that image? Well, let's just think through it for a minute. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac did a stint as a shepherd. Jacob served for 21 years as a shepherd. Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro when he, God called him. Amos was a shepherd prophet. David was a shepherd. Psalm 23 is a, the shepherd's psalm. Isaiah 53, God identifies us as sheep 
in verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. And so what had to happen? Because sheep have gone astray, God had to send a shepherd to bring the sheep in. So I want you to see three things. First of all, the unique character of the shepherd. The unique character of the shepherd. One of the reasons why Jesus uses this image is not just because God has been the shepherd of Israel in the Old Testament, but Jesus uses this image to distinguish himself and his words from the false shepherds and false teachers and the religious hucksters of his day. Think that's got any application to today? Jesus said, I'm different from people that are just trying to make a buck off of you. I'm different from people who use you to their own advantage. I'm unique and set apart. And, and so I want you to hold your place in John 10, and I want you to turn to the prophet Jeremiah and also to the prophet Isaiah. To the prophet Jeremiah, and I'm just going to pick out two sections of Scripture. There are many in the Old Testament prophets about the shepherds who led the people of God astray. But, but Jesus is talking, and now... Listen, this is the last, John 10 is the last public address of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Everything else Jesus says in the Gospel of John related to who he is, he says to his disciples. This is the last, now think about it, why the shepherd image is important. This is the last revelation of Jesus to lost religious people. The last time he's going to say anything about himself in a mass of people. Everything else, he's drawing the circle in. He's honing down his message. He's bringing his disciples closer. He's taking them deeper. This is the last broad appeal because they would have all thought of themselves as shepherds and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And so in that context, him calling himself a shepherd is very significant. Jeremiah chapter 23. He's warning us because the shepherds had abused the people. Now there's a shepherd that knows how to take that rod and that staff and correct a sheep. But Jesus says the shepherds of Israel have abused the sheep. Look at chapter 23 and verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. Now just stop right there. These were God's people. He didn't say that they're scattering goats or unbelievers. He said there are shepherds who are destroying and scattering God's people. They're destroying God's witness in the world. They are bringing shame to the message of good news. So he says, they're destroying and scattering the sheep. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, not their people, my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them, behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. 
God says through Jeremiah, you just tell all those preachers and priests and Levites, those shepherds over my people, they had not been doing the job I told them to do. They haven't been teaching what I've told them to teach. They haven't been obeying the covenant that I put on Israel, and I'm about to attend to them. You haven't been tending, I'm going to attend to you, because you see, when the shepherds don't do their job, the sheep scatter. Second passage is in Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, where Isaiah warns us about greedy shepherds greedy shepherds now there's a lot of jokes that have been going on for 22 years here about whether i have a plane or not i do not but there are ministries out there that are taking in tens of millions of dollars that own three and four planes at their disposal now how many planes does one person need really I just need one. <laughs> Isaiah 56 and verse 10. His watchmen are blind. All of them know nothing. All of them are mute dogs unable to bark. Dreamers lying down who love to slumber. And the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. So they're dogs they're watchmen that are blind. They're shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain to the last one. Come, they say, let us get wine and let us drink heavily of strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. They were in the shepherd business, but all they cared about was feeding their flesh. Let's get wine, let's get drink, let's get drunk, let's get more drunk tomorrow. These were fleshly people who had no interest in the things of God. They were expecting God's people to support a godless lifestyle. They were greedy. Now, Jesus offers himself as the unique character, the clear alternative to these kind of shepherds. By, by the way, if you go to Israel and you walk in Caiaphas' home, it was an unbelievable house for that time. In fact, you can go into some of the ruins in other places in Jerusalem of the homes of priests that were the high priests or priests that were right under them, and it's amazing how they lived in that time, and they were very wealthy. In fact, Many of the high priests were, according to today's standards, would have been considered millionaires. Why? Because they were selling sacrifices at an exorbitant rate from people that couldn't afford to pay it, and they were getting rich off the people under the sacrificial system. So they were making a lot of money off the people and holding it over the people's heads if you don't buy your sheep from us because they would have people standing there saying no I think your sheep is blemished you're going to have to buy one from us no I think that bird is blemished you're going to have to buy one from us no your offering that you bought is not acceptable you're going to have to buy one from us and some scholars say that they raise the price 30 to 40 times the value to hold the people hostage to maintain the life that they wanted to live 
And so Jesus says, I'm not that way. And so Jesus never wears these great robes. He's a simple carpenter. He's identified as a simple carpenter. The religious leaders think he ought to uh, clean up his act and look a little better and talk a little better and, and not be from Galilee and not be from, from Nazareth. And here's Jesus saying, I'm different from this. In fact, the way Jesus describes him, he says they are thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. That's a pretty plain description of these shepherds. This week at Refresh, Ken Jenkins told the story of a pastor who I know. And uh, he came to Refresh a few years ago. After he left Refresh, all he did was gripe about the music and gripe about the preaching and wanted to know why he wasn't asked to sing and preach. And... Uh, when we were on staff retreat a couple of years ago, I looked and I noticed at the place that we were staying, he had canceled church on Sunday nights and he was singing gospel music in the resort where we were staying in a little room off to the side. So it wasn't important to feed his sheep on Sunday night. He wanted to go be a performer and sing gospel music on Sunday nights. This past year, he left his wife went with a woman that he met on Facebook, abandoned his church, and a month later, the deacons called him and said, what do you want us to do with your library? And he said, I don't care. You can take it all out and burn it as far as I'm concerned. That is not a shepherd. And I would submit to you, he's not saved. I don't care if he likes to sing gospel music. That's a false shepherd. That's a thief and a robber who used the church for what he wanted to use it for. By the way, the one thing Ken didn't share is that the Sunday before he left with this other woman on Wednesday, he had them change the Constitution to say if at any time he left his pastor, they'd pay him for six months. So they're stuck paying a guy for six months who's run off with another woman, who's burned, had his whole library burned, who's shacking up, living in sin, living a lie, and he is a false shepherd. By the way, his name is Legion. There are false shepherds everywhere. And that's why Jesus said, my sheep won't listen to you because you don't have my voice. See, sheep know a shepherd, and a Christian knows another Christian, and sooner or later, the disguise and the facade has to fall. And then people begin to realize, oh, now I can see the trend of where it was a false shepherd. And so Jesus calls them a false shepherd. You know, um, there are all kinds of false shepherds. and I, I love it when people tell me somebody's starting a house church. Every person I've ever met that started a house church started a house church because they wouldn't be under the authority of a local church. You mark it down. In this town, if you go to a house church, I promise you everything I've got that the attitude of the person leading that house church is, I don't want to be under anybody's authority but my own. And truth be known, they're not even under God's authority. And they got a lot more house than they got church. You don't have to have a house church in America. We have freedom to worship and assemble. 
You have to have a house church in China because you can get arrested for it. Okay? And, and false teachers will start to come up with some new idea or they'll say, you know, we just need to get together and gather and pray because I've been enlightened with a new truth. Listen, folks, if it's new, it's not true. If somebody just came up with it in 2012, the chances are God didn't bring that up. Somebody else brought it up. They are strangers who try to capture the sheep. Look at chapter 10 and verse 5. John chapter 10 and verse 5. A stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Here's what we have to do. When you listen to somebody preach, you need to listen with ears of wisdom and discernment, and you need to see if God puts a check in your spirit. I mean, if somebody says, well, the Bible doesn't really say that Jesus is the only way. If that doesn't put a red flag up in your spirit, something's wrong. And by the way, an increasing number of evangelicals, an increasing number of evangelicals believe that Muslims and Mormons and Christians all worship the same God. We do not. And if somebody tells you that because they think it will appease our enemies, they're lying to you. They're just lying. If somebody says that you have to do this or that or that, you've got to listen with ears of the Spirit. God's Spirit bringing a check and bearing witness to you. Have you ever been with somebody, and I mean immediately the Spirit of God in you bore witness with the Spirit of God in them, and it was like there was a yes and an amen going on inside of you while they were talking and while you were talking. There was just something. You were on the same page. You see, Jesus said, when I speak, my sheep's ears go, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's my shepherd talking. That's my Lord talking. That's God speaking into my life. And Jesus stands as the good shepherd. By the way, that word good could also be translated worthy or excellent. He is the excellent shepherd. He is the worthy shepherd. He cares about his sheep. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, He will feed his flock like a shepherd. Is Jesus Lord? Yes. Is he sovereign? Yes. But three times he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, if you read the Gospel of John carefully, a lot of times he will say things in threes. I think John was the first Baptist preacher because he always had three points. He never had a point, but he did have the points. I want you to look at it. Verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I lay down my life. Verse 18, I lay it down. Now here are the principles that you need to see that distinguish the Old Testament from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, sheep died for the shepherd. In the New Testament, the shepherd died for the sheep. You see it? In the Old Testament, sheep were the sacrifice. In the New Testament, the shepherd's the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the sheep died for the shepherd. 
But in the New Testament, the shepherd dies for the sheep. He says, I lay down my life. In the Old Testament, the sheep died on the altar to cover sins. Their blood was spilled out to cover sins. In the New Testament, the shepherd lays down his life to take away sin. You see, in the Old Testament, their sins were covered. In the New Testament, they're taken away. Now, I know with the scapegoat, they were taken away, but they still had to every time in the festivals, all the time, offering sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And when Jesus came, he was a once and for all sacrifice, and there's never been a need for another sacrifice since Jesus died on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed by, with perishable things like silver or gold from a futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. You see, it's not just the caring of this shepherd, Jesus. It is the extent of of his caring you see I could care for you to a point but Jesus cares for you to the point of laying down his life and sacrificing himself so that he could have an intimate relationship with you as a sheep now again this comes right in the middle of the fight with the Pharisees over the blind man. And Jesus is a marked contrast here between the righteous, authoritative Pharisees who could have cared less about this blind man. Can you imagine that? Here are a bunch of preachers standing around Jesus. They've got the first five books of the law memorized. They've got all the, they carry around the Torah. I mean, they've got all their stuff, all their gimmicks, all their, all their paraphernalia, and they're walking around ringing their bells, talking about how great they are and, and making sure everybody knows that they're real spiritual people. And Jesus walks in and heals a blind man, and they gripe at him for healing a blind man. Can you imagine that? Could you, let's just say that just for a moment, I walked up to Phoebe and I just chose a floor. And I walked in and I walked over to people and I prayed for them. And in the moment that I prayed for them, they got up and whatever it was that was wrong with them, they just got up and got well and walked out and said, discharge papers, please. I'm ready to go home. And some preacher standing outside would say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's one of my members. You can't pray for them. I don't want them to get well. I haven't visited them yet. I haven't left my business card. That would be silly. That would be insane. And Jesus says, I know my sheep. What he was saying there, that word means not that I know facts about them, but I am personally invested in them. I've got skin in this game. I'm personally invested in the sheep. Now look at the second thing, the unique claims of the good shepherd. And we're going to move quickly through these because you need to take seriously these claims. And there are five of them. First of all, he talks about his sheep. His sheep. Verse 14, he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Verse 27 
My sheep listen to my voice, and they follow me. So look at what he's saying in verse 14 and verse 27. He knows they know. They hear. They follow. Now remember, Jesus began his ministry to the lost sheep of Israel. But he didn't keep it there. He sent his disciples eventually out to the Gentiles. Now, he says that he will have one flock. Not one fold. That's different. One flock. And when Jesus announces this, he's throwing the bomb out there that says Israel has failed to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to be the light of the world, and I have come to be the light of the world, and I have come to be the bread of life, and I have come to send my disciples out into the Gentiles to reach the masses. And so guess what? There's one flock because there's one shepherd. There's one building. There's one body. That means Jews and Gentiles. Whites and African Americans and Asians and Indians and Chinese and people from Taiwan and people from Cambodia and from the Philippines and and Native Americans, wherever they are, whoever they are, God is bringing together one flock. And so for the shepherd, it's inconceivable that we would not love the people that he loves. It's beyond him. Because he's raising up one flock. Not Jews over here, Gentiles over here, this group over here, that group over there. One flock. He's bringing together one flock. And he's saying to these Jewish leaders, you think you're mad now. Wait till some Gentile gets in charge of things. That's going to drive you crazy. And so God is bringing them together. It's his sheep. He knows them. He knows how they behave. Now now listen. (laughs) This can be good or bad. He knows how we behave. How's your behavior? By the way, he knows about me what my wife doesn't even know. What your spouse doesn't know. What your children don't know. What your parents don't know. He knows, and yet he loves Now, you see, the problem with us is sometimes when we know something about people, we don't love them anymore. And we wish that those sheep would be somebody else's sheep. But he knows us good and bad. When we're at our best and when we're at the bottom. He says, I know my sheep by the way he knows your tendencies he knows your weaknesses he knows your strengths he knows your faults and your downfalls he knows the way that you can be used by him he knows everything about you and he knows your place and he watches you and he observes just like the father knows the son and the son knows the father jesus said i know my sheep the same way can you you Jesus said, I know my sheep the way I know my father. And the way my father knows me. 
That means he knows everything about us. And what's amazing is he still calls us his sheep. Now that ought to encourage you. It should encourage you, first of all, to love him. It should encourage you to try to make sure that you're doing less that disappoints and grieves him and quenches him and doing more to follow him and to obey him. Then, then he talks about his sheep pen. His sheep pen. Now, I've already mentioned this, so I'm not going to stay here long. But he's talking to the Jews, but he's talking about the Gentiles. He says, other sheep I have. <laughs> other sheep I have. Let me tell you, the religious leaders of Israel cared nothing. They despised every other group of people because they thought they were God's chosen frozen. I mean, they were, they were the elect. They were in the circle. They were in the camp. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had everything. They had the history. They had the Torah. And so what did they care about the world? And he says, here's my sheep pen that's going to be drawn from every portion of society. Now, how does a sheep get into that sheep pen? There are four things. First of all, you're chosen before the foundation of the earth. If we went around this room right now and I say, okay, I want you to stand up and tell me when you were saved or, or where you were saved. Some of you say, I was saved at Bible school. Some of you were saved at Disciple Now. Some of you might have been saved at a youth camp. Some of you were saved at a revival meeting. Some of you, your mom or dad led you to Christ. And you can say, that's where I was saved. Well, what day were you saved? I don't remember. It was on a Saturday, but I don't remember the date. Some of you would know exactly the date. But can I tell you something? Before you ever prayed the prayer, you were chosen before the foundation of the earth. God set his heart on you. You say, well, I chose to follow Jesus, not before he chose you. He chose you first. You just choose to get in on his plan. Secondly, you're redeemed. Ephesians 1, 4 is chosen, redeemed through his blood. Ephesians 1, 7. You don't get into the sheepfold without going through the blood. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. We are given an eternal inheritance, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 1, 11. That was Ephesians 1, 7 on the last one. Ephesians 1, 11, we have been given an eternal inheritance. Now, when my parents died, we, I didn't get a lot of inheritance. I, I got enough to uh, put our kids through college and, and enough to put a down payment on a house in Gatlinburg that we'd always wanted that rents to pay the bills. I mean, that's what, that's what we got, basically. But I have an eternal inheritance. Now, don't get all misty-eyed on me, <laughs> but do you realize that when Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you for 2,000 years, he's been working on the place. And he had, didn't have to get a building permit because it's on his land. And in fact, the place that he's preparing for us, whether it's a mansion, a mansion could be a word to, or a dwelling place. Hey, listen, if i got a pup tent, I'll be happy. Amen? I mean, he is so lavish in what he's doing for us that he took what we value and treasure and what 
G. Gordon Liddy and everybody else is trying to get us to buy gold and use it for asphalt. And all those jewels we buy for our wives so they can have a nice necklace or a nice ring, they're just in the doors and the gates of heaven. And we have an eternal inheritance, but heaven is not our eternal inheritance. Jesus is our eternal inheritance. We get him for all eternity. Because listen, folks, it's not heaven if Jesus is not there. It can be gates of pearl and streets of gold, but if Jesus is not there, it's hell. Because Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. We have an eternal inheritance. We've been given it, and then we're secure in the Holy Spirit, who is our guarantee of our inheritance, Ephesians 1.14. We're secure in the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that the only way that you can lose your salvation, if this Satan can ply you out of the hands of the Spirit, out of the hands of the Son, and out of the hands of the Father, and there's no way he can do that. You're as saved as saved can be when you get saved. It cannot be taken away from you. It cannot be pried away from you. You hear people say, well, I was saved, but then I got lost and I got saved again. No, you just never saved. Because if I've been secure in the Holy Spirit, then how can I be insecure or lost if I've been secured in the Holy Spirit? Did the Holy Spirit get inside of me and said, ooh, change my mind? No. He saves you. He seals you until the day of redemption. The Spirit of God has secured your inheritance. Now, folks, that's good news. That's really good news. Because it tells me that my best life is not now. If, I mean, if there's a preacher that wants his best life to be now and your best life to be now, let him have it. Mine's going to be better one day. When I leave this world of suffering and sin and sorrow and take the eternal inheritance that is mine in Christ. Look at what Jesus said in John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Somebody says, well, how do I know I'm saved? You hear his voice, and you follow him. If you see somebody says they're saved, and they're not listening to the voice of God, and they're not following him, you've got a right to question their salvation. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one, not even the devil, is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Literally, what it says, they will indeed not ever perish. Now, there's his sheep pen. Then there are his signs, verses 24 through 26. They, you remember in the video, Lord, you, you tell us, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus basically said, already have. Already have. I've told you plainly. You remember what they said? Show us a sign. He showed them signs. The miracles that are in the Gospel of John are there to show you the things that Jesus did that were all signs and fulfillments of prophecies of what Messiah would do when he came. Jesus said, I tell you plainly, I have spoken plainly and I have not stuttered. 
And then the greater sign is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you can't get that, you can't get him. So there are his signs. Then his sacrifice three times again. He says, I lay down my life and no one takes it from me. And I have authority to take it up again. Now, three things about his sacrifice. Very quickly. First of all, it was voluntary. Now, for years, people said the Jews took Jesus and killed him. No, they didn't. He gave himself. Well, the Romans nailed him to the cross. No, he didn't. He laid his arms out so they could drive the nails in. He voluntarily did it. If you read the account of the trial of Jesus, he flat out said, unmistakably, you're not in control here, bud. He said to Pilate, you're not in control. I could do whatever I want to do, and you're not in charge, pal. I lay down my life. That is a voluntary act of a God who didn't have to do it for us. Secondly, it was vicarious. He didn't die for his own sins because he was sinless. He died for the sins of others. And not only was it voluntary and vicarious, it was victorious. When Jesus laid down his life, when the shepherd gave his life for the sheep, he paid the price. I mean, it was victorious. He gave us victory over sin, over death, over hell, and over the grave. And then lastly, look at his sonship. I and the Father are one. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, I want to just quickly close with the unique capabilities of the Good Shepherd. You see, it's not arrogant to believe what God says. It's arrogant to deny what God says. And Jesus said, I'm the way to eternal life. I'm the one. I'm the good shepherd. The image of sheep is mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. God has something he's trying to tell us, and here's what he's trying to tell us. If Jesus wasn't a shepherd, he, you couldn't be saved. Because it was a shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep.